Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. you'll have your scripture open to Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, you may want to put some bookmark there, electronic or otherwise. Uh, for a moment, I want for us to look at Psalm 95. So hang on to Hebrews 3. Have in front of you Psalm 5. Seriously, this is no more complex than income tax, so you'll make it. You know, we need to just sort of think back at to the greatness of God and what he does for a people. The children of Israel found themselves in Egypt. We won't rehearse the, the way they got there, but uh, they arrived in Egypt uh, basically welcomed in and provided for. And uh, one of their own, Joseph, became prime minister of the land. And so uh, the, the, the children of Israel were were pretty well off in the land of Egypt. But the day came when a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. Uh, that didn't mean he just didn't know about him or he wouldn't recognize him on the street. It meant that a Pharaoh arose who discounted what Joseph had done, discounted anything that, that uh, Egypt had gained by the presence of Israel or Joseph at all. A Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph, didn't care about Joseph, and because of that, he began to enslave the children of Israel. Put him to work in construction projects uh, for the Jews in Egypt. Shovel-ready project was a bad phrase. Uh, they really didn't want to hear that. So they, they were put to work in hard labor, and they suffered and suffered for so long. And they cried out to God. How long is this going to go along? How long do we have to suffer this way? And so the children of Israel were lost in the dark slavery of Egypt. But God heard their prayers. God heard their prayers and he singled out a man named Moses who by various events in his life had grown up in the courts of Egypt, was a, a man on the way to the top and through the fumblings of his life wound up a, a shepherd in the land of Midian working for his father-in-law. And so in, in that regard, God reaches down and he says, Moses, I have something in mind for you. What is that, Lord? I want you to go to the Pharaoh and you tell him this, let my people go. Uh, I just remind you that this didn't come as great news for Moses. He was a little bit ambivalent about his abilities to accomplish this task. God said, I'll do it. Just, just you be faithful. You be obedient. You go. You tell him. Let my people go. And so Moses went to Pharaoh and shall we said they had a series of negotiations. And uh, finally, Pharaoh decided that it would be advantageous to let the Israelites leave Egypt. And so they got up and some 600,000 men plus their wives and children plus uh, some other folks as well. Uh, just a vast number of people leave Egypt and they go out. Uh, the Greek for that would be they exodus. 
they, they went out on an exodus, and that's, that's the book of Exodus. The story of Exodus is how the children of Israel left the slavery of Egypt and went to the freedom of the promised land. Not so fast. I mean, imagine what it was like when you were there. The word comes down. There's a guy named Moses. Who? Moses. Okay, what about this Moses guy? He's leading us out of the slavery of Egypt. Going to lead us to the promised land. That sounds good to me. I mean, it sounds really good to me. After all, my house is underwater. I can't pay the mortgage. If I can skip town right now with 600,000 other people, that would be really good for me. And so uh, what do we do? We, we get together with all my neighbors. We pack up the gear and we load it up. And, and we're moving out as this vast company of people going out of the slavery of Egypt. And as we leave Egypt, we're, we're waving bye to the neighbors and, and things like that. And so we, we get out of Egypt. And so far, this is great. This is really great stuff. We're leaving the slavery of Egypt. And here comes Pharaoh's army because he changed his mind. And they're going to chase us down. And what's the first thing we do? We turn to Moses and we say, Moses, we have all the confidence in the world in you. <laughs> I didn't even like this guy, Moses. The only reason I left was because everybody else was leaving. It seemed like the thing to do. The only reason I'm in this, this little migration out of Egypt is because I wanted to get rid of that slavery. But tell you the truth, I don't have that much commitment to Moses. And so I turn to Moses and I say things like, what's the matter, Moses? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt to bury us all? You had to bring us out here so Pharaoh could kill us in the middle of the desert? Is that what you're doing? And so I grumbled. Looked at my calendar, it was Monday, I had to grumble. So I started grumbling on Monday. Well, you know the story that God delivers us and we go through the Red Sea and the waters part and we go through and Pharaoh tries to repeat that. The waters come back together, the army's destroyed and we're on the other side and we've had a great victory. And so I turn to Moses and I say, Moses, I can really tell you're a man of God leading us. No, I was never committed to this Moses guy. I just wanted to get out from under these, this, this Pharaonic army coming after me. So I turned to Moses and said, Moses, I'm hungry. Because it's Tuesday and it's time to grumble. So I'm grumbling on Tuesday. And of course, God supplies the miraculous feeding. He supplies the food, uh, the manna down from heaven. And when I say I'm thirsty, because after all, it's Wednesday and I grumble on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I'm thirsty and he supplies the water coming out of the rock. And do I turn to Moses and say, Moses, now I understand that God is leading you and that I should just trust you. You know what you're doing because the Holy Spirit is leading. No, I turn to Moses and I say, Moses, we don't like this manna. We're bored because after all, it's Thursday and it's time to grumble again. So you, you get the point. Scripture says some 14 times the children of Israel grumbled. And this grumbling wasn't just, well, you know, there's that's right. This grumbling was a wholesale rebellion against the man of God. It was a wholesale rejection of his leadership. It was saying, Moses... We don't think you know what you're doing. We don't think you're connected to any God that we can tell. We, we, we just can't discern that we ought to follow along with what you're telling us. And they grumbled against God and grumbled and grumbled. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. All day Saturday. Twice on Sunday. 
You know, they're just a grumbling people. Now, why is that? It's because they came out of Egypt to get rid of the slavery. They wanted the promised land, but they didn't want the process of getting there. And they had no real commitment to God, and they had no real commitment to the will of God. As long as things went okay, they were fine. But they were going to be the measure of it all. And so they grumbled. One of the worst occasions was when Moses was up on the mountain. Uh, you remember this? He went up on Mount Sinai, and, and uh, there God gave him the Ten Commandments. And uh, while he's up on the mountain talking with God, the people are at the bottom of the mountain. Now understand, they have seen the mighty power of God. They, they're getting fed every day. They're getting watered every day. They, they never have to worry about where does God want us to go. There's always the, the cloud to guide them by day. There's a pillar of fire to guide them by night. I mean, they know something about the, the glory and the majesty of God and leading and delivering and all these other things. But they're at the bottom of the mountain. Moses is talking to God. And rather than saying, folks, let's be in deep prayer for our friend Moses. No, they go up to Aaron and they say, Aaron, we're bored. You know, what's with this God that Moses has? He's no fun. We want a God like everybody else has. Can't you make us a God? Please, please, can't you, can't you? They said it in Hebrew, so it was more impressive than that. And Aaron said, sure. So he gathers all the gold together and he makes this, this cow for them to worship. Makes this cow, paints it white and puts little black dots on it and hangs this sign around it. Amen. This idolatrous cow. <laughs> okay, that, that was a different thing. He says, look folks, see the golden calf. You worship the golden calf, and they sang, and they ate, and they drank, and the Bible says they rose up to play. When Moses came down from the mountain, there was a punishment on the people. There was a destruction. Why? They had not loved God. And their acceptance of this idol, their desire for a golden calf, showed that they had never been invested in God at all. All they wanted were freebies on the way to the promised land. That's all they wanted. And when they got to the very edge of Canaan, when they got to the edge of the promised land, they sent in the spies to find out, you know, what's going on in there. And, and the spies came back and said, you know, it's like a really great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. All we have to do is kill these giants of a people. I don't think we can handle it. And everybody said, oh, no. How are we going to handle that? Now, mind you, God had brought them out of Egypt. He had destroyed the army of Pharaoh. He had led them with a cloud and with a pillar. He had fed them. He had watered them. Time and again, he had, he had punished those who rebelled against him. And yet, at the very edge of the promised land, all they had to do was take one step of obedience, and they were in. They said, no, I don't think this God is worth following because they had never had their hearts sold out to him. And they missed the promised land. A generation of them missed the promised land. Now this was such a real uh, memory in the, in, in the minds of the children of Israel that they never quite got over it. They never quite got past the way that this had unfolded. 
So that when King David was writing psalms, one of them he wrote was Psalm 95. Look at that with me if you have it open in front of you. Um, I, I wish we could read the whole psalm. That, oh, well, why not? We got nothing but time here. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains also are his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand glory hallelujah right I know you're Baptist but it's okay we're going to come in and worship this wonderful God but then lurking in the history of Israel and in David before David's mind was this question this great wondrous glorious God who has summoned us to himself, are we going to respond in faith or not? And so he writes, this is the end of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, because they have never known me, never acknowledged me, never embraced my leadership, never embraced my, my sovereignty. Because of that, they shall not enter the rest. And so in this great you know, context of worship, David reminds the readers, he says, look, today, don't harden your hearts. Keep loving God. Now, you won't understand Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 unless you understand this about the Exodus. In fact, ch chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews are basically a sermon on Psalm 95. Uh, he quotes from it, he alludes to it, goes back and forth with it. And so that's why we spent a little bit of time get, getting in our minds clearly what had happened in Israel with the Exodus. They had left Egypt, but their hearts were still full of Egypt. And as they went through the wilderness experience, they kept grumbling and mumbling and murmuring against God because they had never sold their heart, they had never given their hearts and been sold out to God. And they had never accepted Moses as the man of God whom God had sent to lead them. They were just in it together. It's sort of like a group effort. And when it became uh, a little bit hard and difficult, they reverted to who they were and they rejected God's leadership and God's design. Right? So we need to have that in mind. Now we go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. Therefore, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, um, Therefore means chapters 1 and 2. Therefore, because Jesus Christ is the uh, ultimate, final expression of who God is, the very Son of God, far above and superior to the angels. 
this one whom we cannot afford to neglect, this one that we cannot just, just uh, sort of let our minds wander so we drift away from him. Therefore, because of who Jesus is and because of the greatness of the salvation he brings and because of the dire consequences if we reject Christ, therefore, verse 1, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession of that really is the theme verse for the book of Hebrews. If you want to circle it, theme verse of Hebrews, consider Jesus. And consider Jesus as the apostle of our faith. Now, an apostle is someone who is sent on a mission to accomplish that which the sender uh, designs. And so in that sense, Moses was the apostle of the Old Testament people of God. He was sent by God to set them free from Egypt. Uh, from Egypt. Uh, he was sent by God so that they would come out of their slavery and migrate, walk into the freedom that God had in store for them. He was the apostle, Moses was, because he was sent by God to accomplish God's task and God's mission. Now, in the same sense, Jesus is the apostle of our faith, but not the way Moses was. He goes on to say that in the next few verses. He said, look, Moses deserves glory and honor, yes, but as a servant in the household, Jesus deserves far more glory and honor because he is a son in the household. Moses deserves to be respected because he is doing the master's bidding, but Jesus deserves to be honored, worshiped, and adored because he is the son who leads us to the Father. So consider Jesus the apostle of our faith and our confession. Consider Jesus who calls us out of the slavery of our lives and calls us into that Sabbath rest, into the promised land. That's what he has done for us. So consider Jesus. Have your mind focused on him. That Greek word consider means to really concentrate. Think hard about him. Set your mind down on who he is and just consider who Jesus really is. Another way to say it is fall in love with Jesus. Have a passion for Christ. Let your whole life be consumed with who he is. And so uh, here in Hebrews 3.1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, consider Jesus the apostle. And then he says the high priest, and we'll uh, look at that. Uh, he'll, he'll start to talk about that at the end of, of chapter 5. He'll, he'll sort of digress for a moment. And then in chapter 7, uh, we'll come to Jesus, our great high priest. But for this morning, we consider Jesus the apostle of our faith. The one whom God has sent to lead us out of the slavery of our sin into the brilliant glory of freedom in Christ. Consider Jesus. Now, look, look down at verse 6. Uh, the intervening verses just talk about how Jesus is superior to Moses and how he is a better Apostle, But in verse 6, he says, Christ is faithful over to God's house as a son. If Moses deserved to be followed, how much more so Christ? Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. 
If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. What? Is that works again? Does that mean we're, we're, we're the house of God? If only we can hold fast, if only we can hold tight to Jesus, does that mean that we're not the house of God now? But if, if we just do enough and hold fast enough and found faithful and obedient enough, then we get to be the household of God over whom Christ is the Son? Absolutely not. What this means is that by the grace of God, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in the household of God over whom Christ is the Son. And that results in our maintaining allegiance, a tight grasp to Christ, not by our strength and our power, but by the strength, the power, the grace of God. See, um, what, what he's doing there is he's saying, look, if the appeal of the glory of Christ comes to you, it's the appeal of Christ coming to what God has done to you and with you in Christ. Now, who are the ones who should worry here? They're the folks who came out of Egypt because that was the thing to do. It just seemed like the thing to do. All my neighbors were leaving. I didn't want to be the only person in the neighborhood. I'd have to pay all the trash bill myself. They're going, I'm going, okay, let's go. Wait a minute, I'm hungry. I start growing. You see, there are some folks who came out of Egypt and their only motivation for going was just sort of a, 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 a kind of a sociological impulse not to be left out, to be one of the crowd and, and to go along with this great thing. And so they're, they're going along with that. And in the moments of trial and in the moments of testing, their true nature was seen. And that's when they turned away because they never had been invested by faith at all. Now, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that, that's, that's a miracle, folks. Um, let's see if I can put it this way. Look back up at verse 3. Not only is Jesus the apostle, he has given us a calling. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. See, that's how we get here. That's, that, that's how we come to Christ. It's a heavenly calling. It's not a sociological calling. You know, it's not an entertainment calling. It's not a genealogical calling. You know, some people think they're saved by their family tree. Say, are you a Christian? Sure, I'm a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, my great-great-granddaddy was a Baptist pastor. That counts against you, actually, but... Well, my mother went to church. My dad's mother went to church. I must be a Christian. I'm saved by my family tree because there, there are some believers there and I guess it just sort of adheres to me. We are not saved by the family tree. We are saved by a heavenly calling. We're not saved by our citizenship in the nation. You know, you ask other people, are you a Christian? Well, let's see, I'm an American citizen. I'm not Muslim. I know I'm not an atheist. I'm not Jewish. Yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. You're not saved by your citizenship. You're saved by a heavenly calling. Others would say, well, I'm saved by my religion. You know, I was born in church, grew up in church. I always go to church, went forward, shook the pastor's hand, got baptized, take the Lord's Supper, read my Bible. Folks, nobody was ever saved by being a Baptist. Now, I'm Baptist, but I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And nobody was ever saved by shaking the preacher's hand. Otherwise, we just walk around glad-handing everybody. Boom, got that one. Hey, he doesn't know what he's saying. Nobody was ever saved by being baptized. Otherwise, we just get a fire hose and hose them down as they drove by. 
There's a church in D.C. that does that. Nobody was ever saved by taking the Lord's Supper. We are saved by a heavenly calling. We are saved by a miraculous work of God in which the Holy Spirit reaches out to us and grabs our attention and opens our hearts and opens our minds and opens our ears and we hear the voice of the Savior calling us to come follow Him. We have a heavenly calling. You know, some of us think that calling applies only to certain people. We know that, you know, well, um, Paul had a calling. He was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus stopped him and said, Paul, you know, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And, and, and you know, Paul realizes what's going on. He says, you know, who are you? Lord. You know, from that moment on, Jesus said, look, I'm going to take your life. I'm going to use you to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, show you what you have to suffer and all those things. But there was a calling experience. We think of the disciples, you know, a James and a John who are in their, in their boats and Jesus comes along and says, hey, come follow me. We think of Levi at the tax table and Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, follow me. So we, we think some people get a calling. But no, all of us who belong to Christ are partakers in a heavenly calling. In a heavenly calling. And when we are saved out of the slavery of our sins, we are saved by the miraculous working of God's Holy Spirit, calling us out of death into life. We have a heavenly calling. That's who we are. And so later on in that paragraph where it says, you know, uh, we, we are the house of God, if indeed uh, we hold fast our confidence. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, that we hold fast. This isn't a work that says, in order to qualify, you have to hold fast. It says, when God qualifies you, he will send his spirit that you will hold fast. And this morning, if you don't care at all about that, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Reach out to him. Okay, um, so we, we have a great apostle, Jesus Christ. We have a great standing as the house of God by, by the work of Jesus Christ. And we have a heavenly calling because of Jesus Christ. This is where we are. But we have been called out of slavery to our sin. And now we're on that exodus journey. And that's, that's the point he's going to be making in the next several verses. Look at verse 7. As the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice and so on, you see there, he's basically quoting Psalm 95, and then he's going to make some comments about it. Uh, in verse 12, he says, because of this, because, Christian, brother and sister, you're on an exodus journey, and because those who went on that, that first exodus journey through the wilderness... They grumbled and they fell away and they did not have faith. They were filled with evil hearts and unbelief. Now God's speaking to you the same way. And as you're on that journey, let me just stop here for a moment. Why are we talking about this? Because a lot of us thought you come to Jesus, you get saved, hallelujah, never have a problem again. You know, there, there, there's, there's a kind of gospel, it's not an authentic gospel, but it says if you come to Jesus, you'll never be poor again, you'll never be sick again, you'll never be lonely again, you'll never be depressed again. 
That if you just come to Jesus, nothing ever will happen to you that's bad. If it does, it's your own fault. But, but you're, you're just going to sail through life if you have Jesus in your life. Look, what we know is that those who love Jesus Christ are persecuted. They're thrown into prison. They lose their property. Uh, they, they are rejected. They are, they are kicked out of society. And the book of Revelation tells us they're not even allowed to participate in the economic structures of, of, of the world uh, unless you, you, you accept the, the, the power of the world. What we know is that to come to Jesus Christ means that in this world we will have tribulation. We're on an Exodus journey, folks. We're on an Exodus journey. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. But keep pressing on. You can do that because Jesus is our apostle, because we have a heavenly calling, and because he's over us as the Son. And we are in the household of God. Now, look at, at, at verse um, 3, 12. What do we do about that? What do we do about that? Because, you know, there, as, as we're striving to live and to walk with Christ, you know, these, these problems and these obstacles and these tribulations come our way. It says, take care, brothers. Verse 12. First, take care lest there be in any of you an un evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That sounds like, are you going to lose your salvation? Now, here's what he's talking about. Take care lest you never did come to Christ and your heart is still filled with the evil of sin and you are still filled with unbelief. It's not like you believed and then you unbelieved. It's that you never believed. That's what unbelief means. And so take care that you have a personal experience with Christ, that he's your personal Lord and Savior. You don't come into the kingdom of God by the group plan. It's not as though you can just hide with the crowd and sort of walk in. We come one by one to the foot of the cross, and there we proclaim Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. So take heed, take care, beware. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Make sure that Christ is Lord of your life. But also, pray for those around you. And there are some here this morning who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. You, you just... You know, every time we talk about that, it's a foreign concept. You've been writing it off all these years as, as some kind of religious mumbo-jumbo of some kind. But take heed. Listen. Make sure your heart is where God wants it to be in Christ. So that's the first thing. Take heed lest you have an unbelieving heart. But secondly, verse 13, exhort one another Every day, as long as it is called today. You remember he's taking that word today out of Psalm 95, where it says today, if you hear his voice, as long as it's called today, as long as God's voice is calling to you, exhort one another as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are in this journey together. There's something called the perseverance of the saints. And what that means is that those who are called by God, chosen from the foundation of the world, filled with the Holy Spirit, radically changed, made a new creation, will never fall away entirely and completely. But there are those who do not know Him. And you can enjoy a lot of the things of God without knowing Him. 
Every breath you take is a gift of God. Every day you get up is a gift from God. And you come in the church and you'll experience all kinds of wonderful things. You'll, you'll experience uh, you know, fellowship and love and compassion if we're doing our job right. And you can understand all those things and feel all those things. But if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, eventually you fall away from the good things of God. You fall away from them. So let us exhort one another every day. Let's encourage one another every day. I mean, you've heard it said, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Somebody stumbles. Three of us right there pick him up, carry him until his legs are strong enough to walk again. Someone is doubtful and confused. Three of us there to sit with him and to guide him and to pray for him until the Holy Spirit clears up the doubt. Let us exhort one another as long as it's called today because we are on a journey. And the challenges and the problems and the tribulations are real. And folks, they're only going to get worse in our world today. Let us exhort one another so that we don't you know, retreat back into a life pattern of rebellion and, and neglect towards the things of God. So, so that's what we need to do is we need to beware, take heed of our own condition, and then we need to exhort and encourage one another. We're on this Exodus journey uh, together. Let me give you just um, a couple other things. It, it, the reason you had all that silence just then is I was trying to figure out the fastest way to read the entirety of chapter 4 to you, but that, that's not working out right now. Uh, here, let, let, go to four, chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today. Today. That comes from Psalm 95. Today, saying, through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, Joshua is the one who brought them into the promised land. And after, after Moses died, then Joshua was, was uh, set forward by, by God's designation. Here was the leader who would bring them into the promised land. And so the journey part, the exodus part, was going to be over. The idea was that that was the rest. But he says, look, if Joshua had given them rest, I mean, if that's what we are really talking about, is just getting to the promised land, said if that had happened, God would not have spoken of another day later on. He wouldn't have spoken through David in Psalm 95 is what he's saying. To, uh, talking to the people of David's day, don't harden your hearts. Talking to us today, do not harden your hearts. So then, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. I mean, this, this life is going to be a journey. It's going to be a journey. My brothers and my sisters, you've already discovered that. You've already discovered that sometimes you get thirsty and hungry and tired and confused, exhausted. You already know that the, the walk in Christ is not just a cakewalk. It's an exodus journey. 
But we have an apostle of our faith. We have the one who is our leader in the journey. And our task is to walk in the footsteps of Christ. I mean, this, this is where Jesus begins. He said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, here's what he needs to do. He needs to deny himself and take up a cross daily and what? Follow me. Just follow Christ. Eyes focused on him. Always passionate for him. Holding tightly to him. And then when the journey gets hard, and then when you just long for that final rest, Understand that God's power is just getting started and God's grace is just beginning. And that if we just hold on, which we do, will do by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we just uh, but, but uh, adhere to Christ with the passion and the love of Christ that the Holy Spirit plants within us, as we keep on pressing on, God will lead us and guide us in the footsteps of Christ till we come to the promised rest. Because we have a great apostle, Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. And, uh, gracious Father, the journey is long. For some, it's already been long. And we don't know how much further we have to go. And sometimes we don't know how much further we can go. But Lord, you know. You know the pathway. You know the problems, and you've already provided the resources of your spirit that we might be found faithful. And so, Father, for brothers and sisters in this room, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to give hope and confidence, to give that passion for Christ, that every day, every day we would be found faithful. And those struggling, Father, who do not know Christ, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to bring about the change of heart and mind that would lead to a conversion and a confession of faith in Christ. And so, Father, glorify yourself in our midst. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.